This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm going to be discussing emotional eating, since this is something that I feel like a lot of people can relate to, and I've definitely had different experiences with food over the years that have either allowed me to experience what an unhealthy relationship with food is or on the contrary experience a very healthy relationship with food. So I think first the thing to do is identify the problem. You know, if you find yourself kind of standing in front of the fridge searching for something to eat even though you're not hungry, you know, craving something when you're angry but not hungry or getting getting cravings for certain foods, usually unhealthy ones, or eat something and then struggle not to feel guilty afterwards. If you relate to any of these things, then you may have lost the ability to listen to your appetite and nourish your body with healthy ways of eating. And I'm not saying that you should never eat certain foods or things that you like to eat, but we are not really talking about the need to eat a balanced diet in this episode. We're really going to be talking about restricting foods and then binging and then having obsessional thoughts surrounding food, body shape, and weight. So what we're talking about is turning to food consciously or subconsciously when we need to nurture ourselves with love instead. Regardless of whatever kind of foods these are, for me, I eat a vegan raw diet and that's what I choose to eat. But there's still ways, and I've seen this within many different food communities, that emotional eating doesn't necessarily depend on a type of diet. Just because you eat a certain range of foods or don't include others, it doesn't mean that you're not susceptible to emotional eating because this really is a mental thing and there are other places that this stems from. If you have behaviors that are usually followed by feelings of regret, guilt, shame after eating, which honestly, if you are eating healthfully and in a healthy way, not again, relating to the type of food that you're eating, you could be eating anything really. If you feel guilty or shame or regretful about it, this may mean that you're eating out of a place of emotion. To begin, you want to take simple steps to overcome this process. And the first kind of step that you can take is finding out if you are an emotional eater and what type of emotional eater you are. So do you ever eat without realizing you're doing it? Do you ever feel guilty or ashamed after eating? Do you often eat alone or in odd locations, such as sitting in your car so people don't see you? Do you eat after an experience that has caused you negative emotions, such as being angry after an argument? Even if you aren't feeling hungry, do you crave specific foods when you're upset, such as always wanting chocolate when you're feeling depressed or pizza when 
you want something to kind of numb out? Do you feel the urge to eat when you experience external cues like seeing food advertised on television during commercials or something? Do you eat because you feel like there's nothing else to do? Does eating improve your mood when you're sad? Do you eat to distract yourself from problems when you're worried about the questions that follow will help you see which emotions you're typically trying to numb. So this is kind of helping you to identify what type of emotional eater you might be. When I feel down or depressed, I eat to lift my mood. If you relate to that, then you'd say yes to that. Do you feel a greater sense or an urge to eat when you're depressed or feeling low? Do you tend to eat more when you're disappointed? Do you tend to overeat when you feel stressed? Do you reach for snacks when you're under pressure or overwhelmed? If you're nervous or worried, you might go to food. Do you go to food when people irritate or frustrate you to calm yourself down? Are you compelled to eat to get back at somebody else who has made you angry? Do you reach for food to make yourself feel better when you're angry? Do you eat when you're bored or tend to eat more than you usually do when you're bored? Do you start looking forward to a snack when time is passing slowly? Do you reach for a snack when you have nothing else to do? Does your appetite increase when you're alone? Does eating make you feel less lonely when you are alone? When you're with others, are you less likely to overeat than when you are alone? Do you celebrate with food that you don't normally allow yourself during happy times? Do you not worry about dieting or restricting certain foods when you're happy? When you're happy, are eating, does eating certain foods make you feel better? If you answered yes to any of the first three questions, those are more so related to depressed eating. If you answered yes to any of the questions like four through six, those would be anxiety or stress eating type behaviors. Questions 7 through 9 would be anger-driven eating. 10 through 12 would be boredom eating. 13 through 15 would be loneliness eating. And 16 through 18 would be happy eating. So everyone has a little bit of a different relationship to food. And I think even if you don't relate to any of these things on an extreme level, or you don't feel like you have severely disordered eating, even just talking about these things that sometimes people do very privately in this way is something that will allow you to look at it maybe with a different lens and see, oh, am I doing this or am I not? And just kind of think about it for yourself. And um, if you're not, then affirm that you are on a positive path in creating a healthy relationship with food and continuing a healthy relationship with food. And maybe if you do relate to these things sometimes from time to time, you can check yourself and maybe do an opposite action type of behavior and calm yourself down or do a different type of action um, other than eating to get off of this type of cycle. So next I want to talk about what's the difference between binge eating and a disorder called bulimia, which is an eating disorder and a mental disorder. So all these types of eating disorders involved binging, and like I mentioned earlier, it involves a person consuming very large quantities of food over a short period of time, usually when they are not physically hungry. Binges are often planned and can involve the person buying special foods. So afterwards, binge eaters usually feel guilt or disgust about themselves. Binge eating is the most serious type of emotional eating 
and is the main characteristic of bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder, which are two very serious eating disorders. Binge eating disorder, or otherwise known as BED, is the DSMV criteria states that BED includes frequent overeating at least once a week for three months combined with a lack of control, marked feelings of distress, and associated with three or more of the following. Eating too much, more rapidly than normal, eating until feeling uncomfortably full, eating large amounts of food when not feeling physically hungry, eating alone because of feeling embarrassed by how much one is eating, feeling disgusted with oneself, depressed, or highly guilty afterwards. Binge eating disorder, however, is the most common eating disorder in the United States, affecting about 3.5% of females and 2% of males, and is prevalent in up to 30% of those seeking weight loss treatment. Bulimia nervosa, however, is an eating disorder also characterized by binge eating or consuming large amounts of food in a short period of time, but also includes purging or an attempt to rid of oneself of food consumed, typically by vomiting, taking laxatives or diuretic, and or excessive exercise because of an extensive concern for body weight. To be classified as a psychiatric disorder, it must happen at least once a week for at least three months. Approximately 1% of adults have bulimia and 95% of these um, adults are female. So I think over the years, you know, having been involved in the dance industries, I've definitely have encountered bulimia nervosa firsthand. I know some of the dancers that I danced with dealt with it. And um, it was definitely eye-opening to see that. It was not comfortable to experience that. But I do feel like it is something that sometimes women feel pressured to do. And in current times, I feel like other things that are kind of borderline laxatives that people try to um, include in their lifestyle are things like fit teas. I've seen these and they're kind of like laxative teas and um, heard of people kind of abusing these types of teas to make their stomach flat and they're highly promoted on social media, especially Instagram for, you know, weight loss or, you know, nourishing after a workout or something. And it just like enhances those results or whatever faster. But I do consider fit teas more of a laxative and contributing to this type of process of eating food and then trying to flush it out with this type of like laxative tea. So, you know, there are more common types of emotional eating though. You know, many people eat when they aren't hungry and in response to emotions, but they might not lose control and go into a full-on binge. So it's, you know, things like unnecessary snacking or grazing as well might be binging and can be triggered by emotions. Even though it's not classified as a psychiatric disorder, these less serious types of emotional eating can still lead to weight gain and negative feelings about oneself. And even if it doesn't lead to weight gain or negative feelings, sometimes people can still feel good about themselves and they allow themselves to snack or what have you and it can lead to other health issues. You know, I do have respect for women on social media that have a little bit more curvy figures and they are still, you know, healthy. Um, however, you know, there are some things that they might talk about in private or post about sometimes with um, in regards to having other health issues that they're like, yeah, you know, I'm eating donuts and milkshakes and all this kind of stuff, which is, you know, 
an individual choice and that's not necessarily unhealthy if there are other lifestyle factors that are contributing to their overall health. But, you know, they'll be talking about I have to wear compression tights when I fly or else like my legs hurt really bad because there's so much, you know, cholesterol buildup in my um, veins and arteries that it makes it uncomfortable for me to fly in airplanes. You know, so there are other health risks that can be, um, you know, associated with weight gain over the years and eating foods that do contribute to excess cholesterol on the body, more stress on the kidneys and adrenal glands if you're eating very high protein foods, usually animal products. So, you know, eating these things in excess or eating really anything in excess, there may be a route to that problem and it's worth investigating for our long-term health. And also to be aware of these things. So, you know, because we may go through different times in our life where we might experience more stress or loss or whatever it may be, and it may contribute to these types of behaviors. So I feel like it's, you know, it behooves us to understand what, you know, maybe an unhealthy behavior is versus something that's more of a healthier approach to something. In this case, eating. That way we can live our healthiest life and be around for a long time and, you know, be able to live fully as much as possible. So the third step, and I really, I think this is an important step to touch on, is to learn the difference between emotional hunger and physical hunger. So before you can really break free of an emotional eating type pattern, you have to learn how to tell the difference really between your emotional and physical hunger. This can be really difficult if you regularly use food to deal with your emotions. But next time you think about food, think about these things to identify the type of hunger you may be having. So emotional hunger urges you to satisfy it instantly. However, physical hunger can wait. Emotional hunger typically comes on suddenly. Physical hunger comes on gradually and typically you feel a little bit of a either pulsing sensation or constriction in the throat, just encouraging your body to eat food that usually single signals hunger if there's some type of um, muscular type of contraction going on in the throat. And you don't necessarily have to wait until that's happening to know that you're physically hungry. If you feel depleted, there's no reason to wait that long to identify whether you're hungry or not on a physical level. Emotional hunger craves specific options that you consider comfort foods. However, physical hunger is open to a wide range of options and lots of things will sound good to eat. Emotional hunger isn't satisfied even when your stomach is full. However, physical hunger stops when you're full. So I know sometimes people talk about being super, super full and then they just continue to eat and then they feel horrible afterwards. But really, when you're taking time and you're being conscious with what you're putting in your body and you're listening to your hunger cues, you're gauging whether the amount of food physically that you're putting into yourself is um, a decent amount for the amount of exercise that you may have done that day. These are all things that you can gauge. Emotional eating also triggers feelings of guilt, powerlessness, and shame. However, eating to satisfy physical hunger does not make you feel bad about yourself. Sometimes people have this feeling of, no, I don't want to eat a sugary dessert or I don't want to eat this or that because then they're going to feel bad after they eat it. Um, 
you know, I think in my case, there's other reasons why there are certain things that I don't want to eat. And I'm totally okay with that. You know, for me, I don't choose to consume animal products. And that's because I felt physically sick for years after doing that. So now eating a vegan diet and eating raw foods, I don't really feel that way after eating. I feel like I'm able to actually satisfy my physical hunger much better than I was due to the quality of the food that I'm eating. It's higher in glucose, oftentimes fiber and water, which is filling and also gives my body the nutrition that it needs on many different levels. So that's my personal experience with that. And I actually feel really positive about eating a meal that's all plants. You know, I feel really good. I typically have great energy afterwards. I don't feel too weighed down. So unless I'm eating and kind of having something that's a little bit different, like I love having raw desserts from time to time. And um, one of my favorite restaurants here in San Diego called Peace Pies, they have really amazing raw desserts. So if I have that sometimes, maybe I'll feel a little bit more full or a little bit more tired because there's higher fat content. So that's going to make me feel a little bit more sluggish and slow just in regards to how that is going to affect my blood and hemoglobin you know, your body's ability to uptake, transport, and deliver oxygen to its cells is greatly affected by how much fat is in the bloodstream. So sometimes when you eat a little bit higher, you might not feel as energetic. However, I don't typically feel bad about myself after eating something like that, which is a positive thing in my opinion. So the next thing is to overcome emotional eating through identifying your emotions before you eat. You know, we've kind of gone through that if you're an emotional eater and there are certain feelings that make you feel more likely to eat, that these can be addressed in a different way. Emotional eating tends to be an automatic and virtually mindless type of activity. So before you even realize what you're doing, you've reached for the bag of chips or polished off half of it, and afterwards you're thinking to yourself, how did that just happen? You know, as you open your refrigerator door or your kitchen cabinets and start reaching for food, learn to stop and check in with yourself. That way you can give yourself the opportunity to make a different decision if that's really what you want to do. You know, all you have to do is put off eating for maybe five minutes. And if five minutes seems unimaginable, start with one minute and ask yourself, these questions. Am I hungry? You know, sometimes we eat and we're not even hungry and we might have just eaten an hour ago a pretty substantial meal. It's okay to have a snack and stuff, but really ask yourself, am I hungry? Do I really need more food in my stomach? Sometimes I feel like even when eating raw, I've eaten pretty copious amounts of raw foods in the past as well. And that was something that was kind of suggested and encouraged through the different um, types of people that I was listening to at the time to just, you know, completely stuff yourself. And if you don't have a food baby or you don't look like pregnant when you're done eating, then you didn't eat enough type of thing, which is just ridiculous, really. Like you don't need to eat to the point where you're uncomfortably bloated and you're not really allowing your body to digest the food properly. I think that that's something that's become very, very skewed and um, carb loading, things like that. I mean, do whatever you need to do. But in my opinion, personally, 
which is my opinion exclusively. And I take responsibility for this. You know, I'm very comfortable eating like appropriate amount of portion sizes for my stomach, for my body. That way I fill my body with food. I'm not doing it in excess and I'm not you know, causing myself to feel sick. Like I want to be respectful to my body and my organs that have to like process all of this stuff. And I really don't feel like shoving a bunch of stuff in my body and then forcing it to process is really the best thing. Um, You know, it's like allowing a sponge to absorb water. You don't have to fully submerge it underwater all at once. It's like you can add little bits of water to that and then it can be absorbed at a gradual pace rather than expecting it to just, you know, absorb all the water so quickly. Like our body sometimes when we eat insanely high amounts of foods or even just like more than necessary, it causes a lot of digestive stress on our body to have to process all of that. So, I mean, it's very effective to be able to eat healthy portion sizes, actually being able to enjoy your meal because you maybe wait until you're really hungry and then food tastes so much better when you're hungry. Oftentimes, I mean, that's at least in my case. But I mean, if you don't want to eat massive amounts of food, eating whatever kind of diet or lifestyle that you're doing, you really don't have to. I think it's important to meet your daily caloric needs and it's important to make sure that you are eating enough nutrition to meet your nutritional needs on a daily basis. And that's different for every individual. And there are simple and easy ways you can figure out how to do that and eat a diet that works for you. For me, eating raw vegan, eating vegan foods, like these types of things work really well for me. So that's what I choose to do for my body. But as long as you're getting the recommended caloric needs for your daily intake, for your body as needed, that is the important part. So if I'm not hungry, which of my triggers is pushing me to want food? Sometimes, like we talked about earlier, we might just be like pissed off at somebody and want to go eat. When you look at the brain chemistry in your head sometimes, you know, on a more cellular level, we need glucose And fructose are the main fuel sources for the brain. And the brain does need, you know, healthy cholesterol and things like that. But those are things that when our body is functioning properly, that our healthy cholesterol can be produced by the body. So we don't need to consume excess cholesterol, really. The primary fuel for the body is glucose and fructose. And when we don't get a steady supply of that, there tends to be other chemical imbalances. Being that glucose and fructose are the building blocks for serotonin, which is the brain chemical associated with calmness and happiness, I guess, and stability. I mean, when you look at antidepressants, these are SSRIs are select serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And oftentimes what this does is it does not allow the serotonin to be reabsorbed into the bloodstream. So it has to stay you know, kind of in the brain. So um, this is what oftentimes helps people feel less depressed. And when you have low serotonin levels and, you know, going back to SSRIs, there are a host of other side effects that are associated with these drugs. So I definitely do not recommend them um, as far as taking them for depression unless it's a very, very last resort type of thing because of the side effects being what they are. And 
the other health risks that can be associated with these things. When we're talking about mental health in the podcast episodes that I've been doing recently, there's a lot of different skills and behaviors that can be implemented as coping strategies for feelings of anxiety, depression, things like that, that can be implemented and practiced first before you go to something like that. The only reason why I'm mentioning SSRIs is just to emphasize the fact that serotonin um, is a huge contributor to mental health and stability, and um, there are ways in which we can be more aware of that um, through our dietary and our um, exercise-type habits. So, you know, things that can happen, you know, your muscles need an incredible amount of glucose, especially if you're an athlete, to be functioning properly. So basically, glucose is the main fuel source for our muscles. And how that happens is oftentimes glucose gets released into the bloodstream. Insulin receptors will receive the glucose into the muscle, and the muscle can then burn that glucose as energy. So serotonin is really important for the process of feeling stable. If you have low serotonin levels, the kind of contrast to that is having high cortisol. And cortisol is something that is oftentimes caused by stress. It's a stress hormone and it can really lead to disease and other types of issues down the line if it's not addressed. And oftentimes when people are feeling really irritated or upset, you know, it might be literally a chemical imbalance in their brain that's causing that type of behavior to be happening, or they might be hangry. <laughs> you know, as some of us experience from time to time, it's just, you just need to eat something. And fruits and vegetables are the most nutritionally dense source of glucose that we can consume, and they're also the fastest colon transit food. So oftentimes when you are hungry, really the best food that meets human needs most effectively is ripe, fresh, raw, organic fruits and vegetables. So that's a really good thing to go to. There's also a lot of water, fiber, and nutrition in them that is more easily digestible um, because it's not as processed. So these are things to keep in mind, especially when you're eating food. Stress can trigger a kind of a poor relationship with food. So if you are eating things out of stress, then that's very different than eating for nutrition. And it's important to be aware of that. And only we know really what our triggers are. We only really know what type of things will set us on that path of kind of going down more self-destructive behavior more so than positive loving behaviors and really nourishing your body with food is a loving act to be honest you're you're giving your body fuel to function properly and at its best and help it heal and take care of you so it's important to have a good relationship going on there and the last thing is what are my feelings now that i've recognized this you know if you're going into eating before and you're thinking, oh, I'm hungry. I just want to eat something. But if you go through these steps of checking, am I hungry? Do I really need to eat more food? Do I really need more food in my stomach right now? If I'm not hungry, which triggers are pushing me to want food? Thinking about how do you feel about eating at this point after kind of thinking about all those things? Do you still really want to eat? Then great. Have a meal, nourish yourself, move on with your life, feel great about it. You know, but if you are taking the time to realize, whoa, I might be eating because I'm sad or I feel alone right now, or I'm upset about something else, or I feel 
out of control about a situation. So I want to just be able to eat something that makes me happy and feel a little bit more in control of how happy I am. These are important things to check in with. You know, one thing that I can advise is maybe keep a small journal by your refrigerator, maybe on top of the fridge or get a little notepad that can you can stick to the fridge or something. Maybe keep it nearby and you can write down these questions and answers every time you find yourself in this type of situation. Like if you find yourself in a state of heightened emotional intensity and you're going to eat food, you might actually be hungry, like you might actually need to eat food, but there may also be times where you don't. And so you can kind of just keep a record of that. And it doesn't have to be before every time you eat, but it can maybe be during those times where you, again, are feeling that heightened emotional intensity, just so it's an opportunity for you to check in and check your intentions and be continuing to take steps towards creating a healthy relationship with food. Write down your thoughts. While you're writing down your thoughts, you'll not be thinking about food as our brains cannot hold two simultaneous thoughts at the same time very easily. You can note in your journal if you're feeling lonely or bored. Think about, you know, the types of things. Are What is your spiritual state right now? How are you feeling physically? How are you feeling emotionally? How are you feeling in your environment? Sometimes people forget about that. Like they can be in a really high stress environment where there's tons of people talking or they might be in a really quiet environment and that makes them uncomfortable too or anything in between. Sometimes you feel like we eat a lot more at parties or something because there's just a heightened level of stress. And then sometimes people tend to not eat as much at parties because of that same stress. People react to things differently, but when you're aware of what you are feeling, that's the important thing. You know, note if you're feeling lonely, bored, stressed, or depressed. Write about any events, maybe a phone call or a canceled plan. If it's raining outside, think of anything that you can think of that might have caused your craving to trip into the food area. You might be surprised how trivial the trigger can be, but you know, make a note of it anyways. At least you'll know what is triggering your behavior and hopefully it will help you understand that food is only one choice that you can make of many different choices when it comes to dealing with stress. You know, and kind of going back to, um, you know, writing down sort of the events that might be present, you know, sometimes really a canceled plan or feeling abandoned by someone or not, you know, having a, a good phone call or someone kind of making us someone canceling plans, something along those lines. This is something that can seem like, oh, no, it's fine, you know. But it might actually really affect us on a deeper level sometimes that we're not totally conscious of. So I think being able to be aware of that and be like, okay, this is a canceled plan. It does not mean that I'm not like a worthy person or that I'm not worthy of being loved or that this person is outright like being disrespectful to me. This just is what it is. Come to a place of acknowledgement towards it and then like move forward and let that go. Now, when it comes to alternatives to emotional eating, it can really help to make a list of things that are all the things that you like to do um, when it comes to distracting yourself from emotionally eating and keep it somewhere handy, post it on the fridge, in your purse, in your wallet, something like that. You can even just write it on like, you know, a small note card and keep it somewhere. You know, if you're depressed or lonely, you can call someone who always makes you feel better, play with your dog or cat, or look at a favorite photo or a cherished memento. 
This can sometimes like remind us of happier times or good feelings or just good vibes. I know something else that sometimes I do is on my Instagram, I like to save certain, you know, sometimes if I come across like funny posts or things that I find inspiring, I'll make different little um, categories in the little saved folder um, that you can categorize. And sometimes I'll go through that and just have some laughs or um, be inspired or, you know, get motivated in a different way. And sometimes that lifts my mood when I'm feeling a little bit, you know, distracted by negative emotions. If you're anxious, you can also use your nervous energy by dancing to your favorite song, squeezing a stress ball, or taking a brisk walk. Sometimes I feel like I can definitely relate to the anxiety sense of it being that like when I was growing up and dancing, there would normally be like a very normal amount of stress or anxiety before going on stage. You usually feel like you got to pee, even though you don't really have to pee. It's just nervousness. I'm glad that I was able to have that experience growing up of kind of having that anxiety and then having the fun afterwards of performing on stage because as you do it more and more, it becomes easier and it becomes more of an enjoyable process. And, you know, as at this point, I really don't have too much problem speaking in front of crowds or performing in front of crowds really at the drop of a dime. So it's a good skill to practice. If you are feeling anxiety, having those different things like listening to your favorite playlist, I have an amazing playlist that I love to listen to when I just want to enhance my mood. If I'm in a good mood or if I want to just kind of shift my mindset into a healthier space that's you know music is a really powerful tool for me so that's something that I love and I really highly suggest that people create a fun playlist to listen to of songs that make them happy and feel really inspired and just alive and good stuff that you can dance to you know (laughs) so another thing you can do is if you're bored you can read a good book you can watch a comedy show leave the house and run an errand or visit somewhere that you've enjoyed going to before. Alternatively, you can turn an activity you know you enjoy, like playing the guitar or shooting basketball hoops, scrapbooking, whatever it may be. Um, You can turn to that type of activity and just have a little creative outlet. And again, sort of like I've spoken about before, which is using distraction as a tool to have influence over your negative emotions. You know, I know sometimes I've woken up after having really disturbing dreams or like night terrors or something And I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just, you know, put on a really powerful meditation or listen to some affirmations or practice some things like that or do some gentle stretching and just bring myself back to the present moment and realize, you know, whatever that kind of dream was or something was, it's done, it's in the past, it didn't really like physically happen. Um, It was more just in my head and just kind of bringing myself back to that. But there are also things that actually happen, you know, when we are fully conscious and interacting with other beings in our life that can happen that can be like a little bit startling and um, it's important to practice letting go being present which is one of the first episodes that I did you know because that has a really really profound effect on your ability to enjoy the present moment that you have we never really know what's going to happen you know someone that we love might have a medical diagnosis that might completely change so many things about our life and it can just turn our life upside down so or we never know what can happen in a day so it's always so important to appreciate every single moment i think when you're able to have that appreciation for yourself and also that positive relationship with food it can be 
really a paradigm shift that can be so powerful. You know, I know that there might be times where you feel totally powerless over your food cravings in that moment. And you just feel like, I don't care, like YOLO it up. I'm just going to eat this and I'll deal with whatever the emotions is later. You know, that can be really, it can hurt in the long term. Because I think if you go to other skills and tools first, rather than going to that, you'll feel better in the long term rather than allowing that anxiety to persist. Because when you go into emotional eating states, it doesn't make the problem go away. You kind of end up having to deal with a totally new problem. You know, maybe you ate too much and now you feel really sick or you might have eaten excess calories more than you need to. And that might contribute to some weight gain for you over time or in the present moment. So when you think about it, there's nothing wrong with eating food. But you want to make sure that you are eating for the best reasons that you can and that you're doing your best to be conscious about why you are eating and going to food. And when you get, you know, these urges to eat certain things, you know, sometimes it can be all that you think about. And, you know, you might be at work or at school or whatever you might be doing. You might be with your family and all you're thinking about is, I just want to go do this behavior. I just want to go eat or I want to go do whatever. It can be absolutely unbearable. And you may feel like almost an unbearable tension that demands to be fed right now, which is healthy to have. Like if you are really hungry and you really need to eat and you're exhausted, maybe you've done a lot of physical exercise or, you know, there just might be something else going on that is causing you to feel hungry and that's valid. But we're talking about the times where you probably may be eating for a different type of reason that might be more along the emotional end of things. So just because you've tried to resist in the past and you might have failed at this, it doesn't mean that you have no willpower. I've heard about this often in, you know, conversations with women that have talked about their eating habits, you know, either people talking about this on YouTube or talking with them in person that sometimes they just feel like a failure. They feel terrible about themselves because they either fell off their diet that they wanted to do or they ate something that they really shouldn't according to their own ideas about things and they feel terrible about themselves because of it. And I've heard this from men as well. It's it's very commonly, I think, experienced, unfortunately. But I think those are the times where you have to affirm yourself and just be like, you know what, this is what I chose to do right now. I can learn from this experience. And if I choose to repeat it, that's on me. If I choose to not repeat it, that's also on me. So learning to take responsibility and acknowledge what you actually feel after you're eating something and why you're doing it. Maybe, you know, you don't really need to look into too much why you're doing it, but you can look at the things that are influencing you to maybe feel a certain way or go down the road of continuing in that behavior. And once you become aware of it and acknowledge it, you can change it and put different options in place. Just because you failed in the past, it does not mean that you are a failure or you don't have willpower. You can still take it one craving at a time and purposely look to all of your successes, not just when you failed to resist. Because I'm sure there have been plenty other times where you have eaten things that have nourished you or you've had a positive experience eating that will allow you to feel good about yourself in the long term. The next step I want to talk about is learning to accept your feelings, even the bad ones. While it may seem like your problem that you're having is a certain powerlessness over food or emotional eating, 
you know, it actually comes from a feeling of powerlessness over your emotions. And I've spoken about this before, but we're really out of control of everything. Like we don't have control of anything in our lives. We can only really practice having influence over things. Some people might want to argue that with me, but I can definitely attest to saying the more I release control in my life, and just practice having influence over certain things, the more happy I feel because I feel like when you really try to control things, people, whatever it may be, the more out of control you're going to feel. If you deal with feelings by numbing or soothing yourself with food, you stop feeling capable of dealing with your own feelings in your head, and this can be very disempowering. But allowing yourself to feel comfortable emotions can be great. By the same contrast, allowing yourself to feel uncomfortable emotions can be really scary. You might fear that Pandora's box, once you open the door, you won't be able to shut it. But the truth is that when we don't or suppress our emotions, even though the most painful and powerful difficult feelings subside relatively quickly and lose their power to control our attention. You know, I sometimes think about really intense emotions sort of like a roller coaster. So, I mean, I've done Six Flags, Knott's Berry Farm, um, not yet Universal Studios, but definitely someday that's going to happen. But, you know, you look at some of those like huge roller coasters. Initially, there's a huge climb in the beginning, right? And then everything after that is kind of like dips and, you know, valleys and swerves and all those type of things. So it's like usually there's that really, really high point towards the beginning or maybe somewhere in the middle. But then after that, it kind of dies down. So if you think about it like that, if you just feel and get over that initial drop of the emotions, otherwise you're just going to be staying at the height of it and you're going to be up there. And that is even like more anxiety provoking, in my opinion, than actually just allowing yourself to just take the plunge, take the dive, feel whatever you need to feel and then move forward. So to do this, you really need to become aware and learn how to stay connected to your emotional state. And this can enable you to rein and stress and repair emotional problems that often trigger emotional eating. Emotional eating often goes hand in hand with mood disorders such as depression and anxiety, which may, you know, require the help of a trained psychotherapist or psychologist um, or psychiatrist if necessary to support you while you are trying to overcome your relationship with food. You know, there are a multitude of research studies that have shown that cognitive behavioral therapy is the most effective way of treating disordered eating and body image because you really have to conflict those thoughts, those emotions, and those actions that you're doing, become aware of them, and then choose to see the other side of it and flip them and choose a different option, which I've discussed in previous episodes as well, but may go into that a little bit further in a in a, a coming episode. But it's something that you can look into as well. If you just research cognitive behavioral therapy, there are plenty of tools and resources on the internet that can explain that in greater depth for you and help you apply that when it comes to body image or really any other area of your life. It's a very useful skill to have. So getting help for or getting counseling for emotional eating can be helpful if you work with a therapist that uses cognitive behavioral therapy, which really works by identifying your emotional triggers to overeating, which we've already started to do in this episode, as well as many other causes that might not have been properly identified or addressed before, such as co-occurrence of mood disorders, perfectionism, relationship difficulties, and issues with self-esteem. Next, you want to look at the thoughts that you may have that are not helpful and that trigger you to have feelings of distress 
and of things being out of your control. You can then develop your own personal way of coping with this type of stress or develop your own coping strategies so that you can begin responding to negative emotions such as stress, anxiety, anger, and fear in a healthy way without guilt or shame, especially when it relates to food. So using cognitive behavioral therapy can really help you gain the confidence in your ability to make healthy choices in a reasonable way without overly harsh criticism towards yourself. It can also change how you think and feel about food and the whole process of eating as well as how you relate to yourself in regards to body image. Cognitive behavioral therapy can also increase your self-confidence in your body and shape, and you can learn how to avoid the thoughts that lead to binging, purging, or feelings of hopelessness. I think everybody deserves to have a really healthy relationship with food. I've been grateful to, you know, practice more of these types of things that have led me toward a greater awareness with my relationship with food. I think being that I come from a past with challenged digestion and eating foods and not really understanding why foods made me feel so terrible on a physical level and then dealing with some of the emotional stress of that in regards to not really knowing what to eat that wasn't going to make me feel sick. For me personally, eating a plant-based diet, high in raw foods and exclusively in raw foods has really helped me have a better relationship with my body on multiple levels, mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. So I'm very grateful for that and finding that solution for myself. I think it's different for every single person what they need to do in their life. You know, I hope that this episode can provide a lot of those tools and that listening to this episode might kind of evoke some type of ideas and maybe more of a yearning for you to have more of a conscious and healthy relationship with your food. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. 